Welcome back to the Tell Them You Mean Business podcast. Today we have Josh Maurer, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers, here to tell you about his career, his predictions for the Brewers playoff season, and give you a behind-the-scenes look at calling games for the major leagues. Also on this episode, listen to a case result reading about our clients who received a $600,000 settlement after an at-fault driver disregarded a stop sign and pulled onto the highway in front of our client's vehicle. Stay tuned for all this and more here on this episode of Tell Them You Mean Business. Well, I am so excited to be here today with Josh Maurer, one of the play-by-play broadcasters for the Milwaukee Brewers. Josh, thanks so much for coming. You have big shoes to fill because last year on the show I had Lane Grindle with me, so we're excited you're here. Jason, thank you so much for having me. Well, if I get to follow Lane Grindle, I guess I'm doing something right. Exactly. That's how I feel. (laughs) That's why we're so excited to have you come as well. We knew you were going to do a fabulous job. So you joined the Brewers in 2022. Let's talk a little bit about the journey and how you got there and when you got excited about doing broadcasting and go through a little bit about your background and how you came to Milwaukee. Absolutely. Well, it's funny, you know, some people, it takes them their whole lives to figure out what they really want to do. I had the either fortune or misfortune. I I always kind of go back and forth as to which one it was. But when I was very, very little, I knew that I wanted to be a baseball play-by-play broadcaster. That's amazing. It, it, right? And and I actually even remember the moment that it happened. I was lying in bed as a, I think I was 11 years old one night. And I used to, I grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. So I would listen to the Philadelphia Phillies games on my radio as I was trying to go to sleep every night. And I would listen to their broadcaster, Harry Callis. And one night I had this epiphany. I'd like to do that. And I did Literally, this is the nerdiest thing anybody's ever said on your podcast. But I, I from that moment on, really strove to get to where I am right now and dedicated the majority of my life to it. So That's awesome. Yeah. Did you do any broadcast type stuff when you were back in high school or talk about that a little? I started working as a behind the scenes production guy because okay. that's what you could do. In high school, and I, I had an internship at the sports television station in Philadelphia, and then I went to the University of Maryland in, in college for yeah. my undergrad and started broadcasting on the student radio station. So I would call basketball and football and then, of course, baseball games in addition to the other sports, soccer, lacrosse. And you could do that in college without the pressure of having to uh, keep your job. And right. you could learn and go through your own mistakes without the pressure of being a professional at it. So that was the best training ground that I ever had was actually calling games in college and, and learning, learning how to do it and then cutting my teeth and play by play. When you were at Maryland, did you get a degree in, in broadcasting? I did. I, I was a broadcast journalism major. And so was that a natural in then to be able to call the games at Maryland? It was, it was, although the, the student radio station was totally independent of the college. The College of Journalism, which, um, you, you know, there were both College of Journalism in most in, at Maryland and in most universities, they're pre- preparing you more for being a reporter. OK, uh, there's not a lot of classroom work that teaches you to do what I do. Right. And that it, it just has to be practical experience. Yeah. Well, and you have to have the voice for it like like you have. Well, I hope I do. Yeah, definitely. You do. <laughs> I try, I've worked on my voice over the years. When I was looking at uh, your background and it talked about 
places that you have broadcasted. It said Boston College, ACC Network, NESN. I'm not sure what NESN is, but obviously NBC and ESPN I'm familiar with. Talk about that stage then. You graduate from Maryland and you're trying to you know, break in and, and do what you've been dreaming about since you've been 11 years old. I think the the biggest the biggest thing that I've always tried to do is just always move forward. Uh, so whatever the job that I was able to get, I wanted the next one to be a little bit higher up on the food chain. And, and so I also really tried to never say no to a job offer that I had. So I graduated from college. I got my first broadcasting job in independent league baseball in 2003. And I was the studio pre and post game show host for an independent league team called the Brockton Rocks in Brockton, Massachusetts. And it it was a grind. It was a, what an eye opening experience. I worked in the studio. So when I I would be at the ballpark during the day doing whatever it is that you had to do in uh, independent league baseball, you wear many hats. So I would pull the tarp. I would write the game notes. I would update the website, all that stuff. And you'd be at the ballpark during the day. But then when everybody was coming, the fans would come and the game was about to start, I had to leave. And it it, it killed me every night. I would go to this station. And I sat in the studio of this AM radio station in Brockton, Massachusetts, by myself every night for the entire summer. Oh, my. And I did the pre- and the post-game show. with It was me and this cat. There was a three-legged cat <laughs> who hung out with me every night. He was my buddy. And I finally asked someone at the station, why is this cat here? They said, oh, you didn't figure it out. We got a mouse problem. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. You know you've made it when you're in a station in the AM radio with a three-legged cat. And exactly. You know you're on your way when that happens. <laughs> and I was on my way. So I, I, from that moment in Brockton on, I made the baseball journey of a lot of players which I'm proud of. I went from independent league baseball to single A baseball. I worked in Charleston, South Carolina for the Yankees single A affiliate. Okay. Then I was in double A in Trenton, New Jersey, Yankees organization again. And then I went to triple A for a long time in the Red Sox organization. So I actually literally climbed the rung of professional baseball until I finally got to the major league. That's amazing. What got you to the major leagues? Tell, tell us what the one thing, the break, the... Like I always say, there's so much luck and timing to all of our success. For That's the first thing I always say when I talk about how the journey's been for me. I've been at this firm for 30 years, and I think back from when I started to where I am now. And there's just so much luck and timing. So I want to hear from you. What do you think was the break, the opening the door, and you went right when other people went left? What's the one thing you can point to that got you to the major leagues? Well, I, I wish... Jason, I wish there was one thing. Okay. Because if there was, then we'd all do it, right? Uh, I think for me, the biggest attribute I had is that I just never quit. Yeah. I spent 19 years in the minor leagues, which is longer than most that ever make it to this level. Usually you're going to make it in a certain amount of time or you're just not ever going to get there. And I thought I had gotten to the point where I was never going to get there several times. Uh, in, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you this, in 2020, I had made up my mind. I had a decision that that was going to be it for me. It was going to be my last year. Uh, I was going to turn 40 after that season. I had worked with a whole slew of partners in AAA who had gotten major league jobs, and I, I didn't. I was still there. And I thought, well, once you're 40, it's probably too late to pivot. And I didn't want to be the 65-year-old codger in a minor league press box. <laughs> so I figured this was about time. And then, as everybody knows, the pandemic hit. Yeah. The minor league baseball season got canceled. The major leagues eventually played 
during that pandemic year, but the minor leagues, they never did. So I was waiting tables and realizing how much I actually still enjoyed my job. Right. And so I stuck with it and uh, I did one more year and then uh, the Milwaukee Brewers had a job opening and I applied for it. And there were many steps in the process and interviews and people to meet. And then they offered it to me. Talk about that whole process of meeting with the Brewers. It's a major league job opportunity. And you've waited all that time. And, and just walk us through that that process. Well, the, the first thing that happened was you, you see that there is an opening. And that's always something that like gets your heart fluttering a little bit. Because there aren't many openings. Yeah. Think about Major League Baseball. There's 30 teams. There's... Anywhere between two and four play-by-play broadcasters between television and radio at those 30 teams. So you can do the math. There's yep. just very few jobs. And you can do it till very late in your life. So there's not a lot of turnover. Yeah. So when one does open, everybody, you know, we, we, we are the vultures in minor league baseball. We pounce. Uh, but this one seemed, I, I don't know, when it, I saw that it had opened, I... I, for some reason, had an intuition that it was a chance. And so I, I had applied, and maybe a month later, I heard back from the Brewers that they were at least interested in, in talking to me. So they had asked for more materials, and I sent them some more materials. Materials meaning demo stuff. Yeah. When you're hiring a broadcaster, you want to hear what they sound like. Right. So more de- different uh, types of demo samples. And then uh, there was an interview online with several people, and then there was another interview over the phone. And then the last step was coming here. The first time I was ever in Milwaukee was in the middle of January 2022. And I got to have breakfast with Bob Euchre. And that has always been, since he's been here, that's been the last step for anybody who's been hired to be a broadcaster with the team. Yeah. You got to meet Bob. Yeah. And he's got to give you the, the rubber stamp. Yeah. What a great guy and a legend. I mean, that had to be pretty exciting for you to know that you were going to sit down and have breakfast, but also so nerve wracking <laughs> because that's kind of the final step you have to get through to get the job that you've been wanting since you've been 11 years old. That's exactly right. Uh, I Well, I told myself as I was coming to Milwaukee for that in-person meeting, I said, you know, I, you might not get this job, but if nothing else, at least you got to meet Bob Euchre, exactly. right? So that wouldn't have been a bad consolation prize. And it was, it was so fun uh, sitting there and listening to Bob tell stories for the first time. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky enough I get to do it now on a daily basis. Right. But the first time you meet Bob and you hear him tell his stories, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, I think I was there for two hours and it just flew by like a did snap you, of a finger. Did you know when you were done with the, the breakfast that you'd gotten the job? No, say the, no, okay. no, I didn't. Did you know... <laughs> Who was in the the last round with you by any chance? Did you know who your competition was at that late in the game? I had an idea. I had an idea. Okay, I, I did. Um, well, that, but, you, but but you you know at that stage anybody that you're going to be up against is so talented. If right. you get that far in the process of a major league baseball broadcasting search, yeah. you know you're up against. I I thought pretty tall odds. Yeah. So you have breakfast. How long is it before you get that exciting call that you got? The it was job? the next week. So that that breakfast was on a Friday. Okay. And later that afternoon, I got on a plane back home, and I had a basketball game to broadcast back in Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, the next day, so I did the basketball game, and I think the rest of that weekend was pretty sleepless. And then yeah, the, oh, sure. Uh, the next Monday, I think it was the next Monday, I had gotten 
word that I was going to have a call with the fellow from the brewers who was running the search. Right. So I figured it was going to be one way or the other. I'd get the news delivered that next day. Yeah. And uh, it was good news. Well, that's amazing. I mean, I love to hear that story because you worked hard. You've earned it every step of the way. As you say, you got a little farther, a little farther, and you almost thought of giving up on the dream you had since you were 11 years old. And then you got the job. That's amazing. Well, let's talk about now that you're here in Milwaukee and you're doing the job. What's been the biggest challenge or or the difference, if any, between what you were doing through the minor leagues to now with Bob and Lane and you're in the big leagues and and talk about that, the transition. Boy, where do I start? You know, the, the job itself of calling a baseball game, the mechanics of it, doesn't change that much. And I think that's what's helpful of having done so many minor league games over the years. You, you really figure out your style and you figure out how to do it. And I think, you know, I figured out how to do it over the years pretty well. I, or at least I, I worked at getting better and better as I moved up. So at least I had that as a background. And then everything else is totally different. The people that you're around, the ballparks, the travel, the hotels, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's eye-opening. I'm glad this is my second year now and not my first anymore. Lane, who you had on the podcast last year from from our booths told me, he said this whole first year, this was coming into 2022. He yeah. said this whole first year, it's going to be like drinking water out of a fire hose. And it, it kind of was uh, just figuring out where do I go and who are these people? Not the actual calling of just the, game, the logistics just the of logistics the job. of yeah. doing it and meeting everybody and, and going to new cities and all, all the players and the coaches. And at least this year, as my second year on air and traveling with the team, at least that stuff I know now. I know who the people are. I know where the places are. And uh, so that's a lot less to worry about the second time around. Do you think there's a big difference with your job from radio to TV? Very big. Talk about that. People may be interested in that. The difference between broadcasting a game on TV and and on radio. And I've done both. So I, I, I think I can answer this responsibly. On television... Your job as a play-by-play broadcaster is really just to be a facilitator. Yes, if a big moment happens, you're going to give it a call that you punctuate. Brian Anderson is so good at that. Jeff Levering, who does TV now for us, is so good at that. But the rest of the time, especially during baseball, there's not a ton going on. So you're just facilitating the conversation with your analyst. And you want to make the analyst the star. Everybody can see what's happening. You don't have to call every pitch. Uh, You're really just kind of talking to the pictures. Radio, it's the complete opposite. Nobody knows what's happening unless you tell them it happened. Right. So you have to call every pitch and you have to be descriptive and you have to paint a picture so that people, while they're listening, maybe there's another 11-year-old kid lying in bed somewhere. Saying, I want to do this job. Yeah, you want them to know exactly what's going on. What did that play look like? How, How did it develop? So I think you need to be more detailed. Uh, you certainly have to be more exact in your descriptions. You can't miss a pitch. And uh, so, yeah, it's a totally different set of skills that you need to be doing radio play-by-play versus doing television. In order to do your job well as a broadcaster on radio, do you have to get to know the players at all personally, see how they do things? Talk about that. I think it, I think it helps. I will say this. With the new pitch clocks, in Major League Baseball this year, 
the time between pitches is so sped up that a lot of the art of what we did, which is tell stories and educate listeners about players and their backgrounds and, and tell stories, uh, a lot of that has had to kind of go away. I do find that a bit sad, and, and we can get into the merits of the pitch clock, of which there are many, yeah, many merits. But one thing I think is going away is the art of storytelling on yeah. the radio because of that and, and being able to educate more on the Well, you, you brought up Bob Euchre and your breakfast and being able to spend time with them and listen to the stories. For me, a lot of times, I would turn on the radio and even have the TV on to be listening to Bob and hear the stories because a lot of the fun of the broadcast was just listening to Bob. I mean, you could see the game, but listening to what he says, he just makes it so entertaining. And you, you bring up a really good point. And we started talking about this off podcast before we got started is this speeding up of the game and the impact it has. Let, let's spend a little bit of time talking about that and your thoughts just about where a baseball game could go to four hours. And now with these new rules, it's obviously much much quicker. I get the loss of the stories, and I, I think that is a loss. But what do you think generally for the fan? Is it a is it good? Is it bad? In your personal feelings, I think it is all good. Now, just just to backtrack for for a second, I think it. I feel so much for Bob because of the way that he broadcasts the game was so it is so predicated on storytelling. Yeah. So he's had to adjust. Yeah, it's got to be. But of course, Bob can do it. He can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the fan. Major League Baseball has, uh, pardon the terrible pun, they have hit a, a huge home run. Yeah, I think so. I I can't imagine a change that's happened in the sport ever that's made a bigger difference for the good than what they've done with the pitch clocks this year. And and I, I'm telling you, there are a few people I've come across who say they don't like it, but I think they're just doing it to be contrary. I, I can't think of a good reason why you wouldn't like it. I just think to sit at a ballpark for four hours – Three hours and forty. It just gets too long. I, I mean, for the casual fan and family, I think one of the things we said before we started the podcast is you talk about having a youngster at a game, and how long do you expect them to sit there? Mm-hmm. You know, for a game. I, I just think, I think I I saw a Brewer game was under three hours, or was one even under two hours? One game. I mean, that is amazing. Well, the statistics don't lie. Last year's average game time in Major League Baseball was about three hours. The average time right now is about two and a half hours. Yeah, that's amazing. They have cut a half hour off of the game. And if you think about what that was, it was 30 minutes of nothing. Yeah. Because they haven't taken any outs out of the game. You still got to get 27 outs each team. Right. So the game is still the game. So what are those 30 minutes that have gone away because of the pitch clocks? Yeah, fluff. It was 30 minutes of absolutely nothing happening. Yeah. yeah. So they the have the pitch clock. What other new rules this year are speeding up the game? Certain They've limited a, uh, how many times you can go to the mound. Is there a certain amount of time you have to get in the box? Or is that all dealing with the pitch count? It's all part of the clocks. So the clock starts with nobody on base at 15 seconds from the time the pitcher gets the ball back from the catcher. Okay. So, pitcher catches the ball. He's standing on the mound. That clock is running. At eight seconds, so from 15 to eight, once you get to eight, the batter has to be ready to hit. The batter has to be in the box looking at the pitcher. If not, the batter has violated, and he's charged to strike. Then, from eight to one, the pitcher has to deliver the pitch. And if the pitcher doesn't deliver that by 
the time the clock hits zero, then the pitcher is violated and he gets an automatic ball. I've been in a couple of games where that's happened occasionally. How often are you seeing any of these violations? Less and less. Okay. And that's what Major League Baseball was hoping. It, it, it Initially, they were averaging maybe one to one and a half violations a game. Okay. I think for the last couple of months, the data has shown that it's even less than one per game yeah. on average. So the players have adjusted. The one thing that I have heard as a possible complaint from coaches there's been a spate of injuries especially to pitchers and there is some concern among baseball people that the injury rate to pitchers may have risen because we're asking pitchers to work faster than they were used to Hmm, that's an interesting thought that's the one possible downside i don't think there's enough data to say one way or the other if there's any correlation have you had one memorable moment or one memorable call or a few that have stood out to you over the last two seasons? Yeah, I, I have. What is great about the way our broadcast is set up, so Brewers Radio, going back to the beginning of Bob Bucher's tenure on air, it's been the same breakdown as to which broadcaster calls the play-by-play for which inning. And so the way it works, Bob or whoever's leading the broadcast will call play-by-play in the first, the second, the fifth, the sixth, and the eighth and ninth innings. So those are six of the nine innings. Okay. And then me or whoever is in that number two chair will call the other three innings of the game. But if the game goes to extra innings, starting in the 10th, I get to take over. Okay. Which is really cool. So I have been able to call several, a handful of Brewers exciting extra inning wins where I get to call the last out. And that's, you know, that's what you want yeah. as a baseball broadcaster. You want to be the guy that calls the winning moments. Right. And I, I actually am very fortunate. I'd be fortunate because of the way the setup is here. That if the game goes to the extra innings and the Brewers win, I'll get to be the guy that calls it. It's exciting for me to be here with you because I can see the excitement in all your expressions when you talk about being, you know, a broadcaster for the Brewers in these moments. And obviously we're filming some of this to, to put on social media, but it really is nice to see you be so passionate at this stage in your career about these moments, because it really shows in your facial expressions and everything. And that's, that's pretty awesome that you've been thinking about this since you've been 11 years old and now you've conquered that dream and you're still so darn excited about it, which is awesome. I love it. I, I love the sport and I think it probably means more to me, Jason, because of the fact that it took me a little longer to get here than, than a lot of the others that have reached major league baseball. Yeah. Um, so I, I do, I try to appreciate it. Look, when I'm on the air, uh, and I, for these two years, I broadcast road games because Bob works the home game. Yeah. So whatever ballpark I'm in, whether it's Dodger stadium or Wrigley or Fenway park, any of them, I, I I do have to pinch myself and say, well, look where you are. This beats yeah. Brockton, Massachusetts in the studio with yeah. the cat. I was always a big dreamer, and my story is similar to yours. I can remember since I was probably six years old, I said I wanted to be a lawyer. And I just fought, because that's all I said, I just followed the same dream. And I was always a big dreamer. But you, when you reach where you always wanted to go, it still seems like it's so much bigger than you ever could have imagined. And it's, and it's really exciting. And we're both so lucky to be able to have followed those dreams. And, you know, as a sponsor of the Brewers Radio Network, Network like we are, and we have the dishing out the double play campaign that I get to hear you say 
uh, when there's a double play and then we get to give money to Feeding America. And in August, uh, I was there on the field. I got to throw out the first pitch. And I was so happy I didn't do a 50 center and uh, throw it into the stands or hit somebody. But uh, because of the calls you're making in the double plays, I think in August we gave, uh, I was on the field and I gave a $10,000 check to Feeding America. And the Brewers are just a great organization. Um, it's been exciting to have you. We had Lane and I've met Bob. Let's end with talking about the Brewers' expectations for the rest of the year. What are you thinking? Are they going to be a playoff team? Is it going to be a division winner? Are they going to be a wild card? What are you thinking about the team right now and, and how things are going? Well, as as we speak and you know, as as folks are watching this, I, I I think it's going to be a close race for the central division coming down to the very last week of the regular season. I I'm not sure that any of the three teams that are in the discussion for the title are going to be able to pull away from the other. And I'm talking about the Brewers, the Reds, and the Cubs. I think it's going to be a competition for the division championship coming down to the very end. Uh, I think the Brewers have a great chance to win it, but I don't think it's a sure thing. If they get into the playoffs, I wouldn't want to face this Brewers rotation in a best-of-three series, Uh, which is what it would be now, the way that the playoffs are structured in baseball. You're going to have to win a wild-card series. Right to advance to the division series. The wild card series is going to be hopefully in Milwaukee. It's going to be a best of three, and you're going to host another team. you got to beat them twice. And the first two pitchers in that series that that other team is going to face are going to be Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. Yep. I'd like our odds if it gets to that. And then once you advance, you never know. Maybe right. you get hot and, and make a run. What's the key the rest of the way? Is it the pitching, do you think, or is it hitting? I'm going to knock on wood when I say this, but the pitching is so good. And the defense this year for the Brewers has been so good. Uh, Really, statistically, if not the best, one of the two or three best defenses in baseball. They've won games because of the way they catch. I I think that almost at this point is enough of a a given that you can just assume that you're going to keep having that. So I think it's the offense. Can you get enough runs? As you get into these must-win games late in September and then hopefully into October, can you score enough runs to make that pitching and defense enough to win? Well, it's sure going to be fun to see what happens the rest of the way. You know, and again, a small market team in the hunt year after year. I mean, you have to give a ton of credit to this organization. You know, they're not spending like these big cities are spending on payrolls, and they're consistently here, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the year making a run for it. It really, really is fun. But before we let you leave, we uh, like with all of my guests on the podcast, we're going to put you in what's called the Hupy Hot Seat. I love it. Where I'm going to ask you three questions, uh, baseball safety edition, uh, two multiple choice, and then one true or false. So the first one is, what percentage of baseball injuries occur during practice? Hmm. Is it A, 7%, B, 17%, or C, 37%? Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with B, 17%. It's actually 37 Wow. I, I have no idea why. There is no explanation as to why here. Mm. Question number two, what is the most common baseball-related injury? Is it A, tendonitis? Is it B, a pulled hamstring? Or is it C, a concussion? Let's go with B, pulled hamstring. 
It's actually a tendonitis. And here, here, there actually is a Y here. Baseball players get tendonitis around the area of their elbow or rotator cuff because of consistently having to throw a ball. Seems like more of a pitching thing. I don't know if you get tendonitis if you're a position player, but that's the answer. I don't know. Well, and I think as we were discussing earlier, pitching injuries are way up. Yeah, I guess. And, and so I think the, the percentage of injury is probably, in general is probably skewed up. towards pitchers. Yeah. Okay, last one. True or false? This is an interesting one. Sliding headfirst into a base is generally safer than sliding feet first. Ooh, that is a great question. Isn't that? Yeah, that's a great question. Sliding head first into a base is generally safer than sliding feet first, true or false? I'm going to go with false. You're right, false. Why? Because of the risk for injury to the upper extremities and the cervical spine during a head first sliding, it is potentially more dangerous than feet first sliding. They are teaching runners and more, more so... In recent years, they're trying to teach runners to never go head first yeah. if you can help it. I mean, yeah. you can see why. Right. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being here today. This was a real treat to hear about your story. It really is awesome for someone like me to listen to the fact that you wanted to to get to this dream starting at 11 years old and you conquered your dream and it didn't come easy. You had to keep working hard. And just to see your passion here in the studio, it was really awesome. So it was great meeting you and thanks for coming. Jason, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Case result reading. Our clients were driving to Door County for a holiday weekend when an at-fault driver disregarded a stop sign and pulled onto the highway in front of our client's vehicle. One of our clients suffered serious injuries requiring hospitalization and surgery. Attorney Rob Dommel received $500,000 from the at-fault driver's insurance company. Then a lawsuit was filed and he obtained an additional $100,000 settlement from our client's insurance company at mediation for a total settlement of $600,000 for our clients. To view more cases like this, visit hupi.com under the results section. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Them You Mean Business. If you want more information about the topics covered on this podcast, visit hupi.com or email info at hupi.com. Do you know that Tell Them You Mean Business podcast is on TikTok and YouTube? Just search Hupi and Abraham and subscribe to catch all the best clips this season. And as always, if you're injured in an accident, be sure to call Hupi and Abraham at 800-800-5678 to tell them you mean business.